Thank you so much for tuning in to our church podcast. You can go to atarapentecost.com for questions about services and how to donate. We pray that you are blessed by this message today. God bless. But uh, those, those that, if you came in late uh, and you didn't hear the report about Brother Cliff, hey man, he's, uh, he's out of uh, ICU in a recovery room. And uh, we were able to kind of talk to him a little bit and amen. So uh, just continue to pray for him. All right. Hallelujah. Brother Colton is our teacher. Thankful for Brother Colton. Amen. All right. Had one more debug left in him. That's it. Praise God. Thank you. That is thankful for the precautions. I don't know how technology works. I'm sorry. I look 21, but I'm actually like a 59-year-old. I don't know how my phone works. Are you saying that 59-year-olds? 159-year-olds. I'm sorry. Yeah. That could have been rough. That could have been dangerous. Not that I'm there. No. I thought that should have been the other way around. No. Absolutely not. No. I I don't know how technology works. Uh, To my mom, I do because I can find her phone, and that's all the technology she needs. Just where did she put her phone last? So that's, that's one of my shining skills. It's on the resume. Um, oh, praise God. I love this church. I'm so glad to be in this church today. Uh, I'm so thankful to be able to worship God. I love worshiping. I'm very thankful for uh, Brother Long. He lets us worship on the instruments. I'm sure everyone does too, but he really likes it too. I remember uh, growing up, I was the drummer for my parents' church. I was a very young drummer. That's how I kind of learned how to do it. And uh, they were telling me, you're playing too loud, you're playing too loud. So I thought I'd be smart. I got into the Bible, and in Psalms it says, play skillfully with a loud noise. So I, I put it up there. I'm like, this is, uh, this is biblical proof I can play loud. And I showed it to the music director, and he's like, well, you got the loud noise down. Let's work on the skillful a little bit. So I'm working on skillful. Amen. Uh, today I'm going to go, our text today is going to be Acts chapter 8. Uh, verses 26 through 35, kind of a familiar part of Scripture. Um, Acts chapter 8. Let me get it in my Bible. That would be helpful. Um, for If you just saw that, that's a pen that was a bookmark. I can't, I can't afford real bookmarks, apparently, so we're working on that, too. Acts chapter 8, verse um, 26 through 35. This is a portion of scripture that's kind of familiar to a lot of people, especially in our uh, movement, our beliefs in, in baptism. That's what I'm going to talk to you, just like a little sneak peek. We're going to talk about baptism today. I love right. baptism, especially in Jesus' name. We're going to get through all that, I promise. So Acts chapter 8 and 26 starts off, And the angel of the Lord spake unto Philip, saying, Arise and go toward the south unto the way that goeth down from Jerusalem unto Gaza, which is desert. And he arose and went, and behold, a man of Ethiopian, uh, a eunuch of great authority under Candace, queen of Ethiopians, who had charge of all her treasure, come to Jerusalem for to worship, was returning and sitting in his chariot, read Isaiah, or Isaiah the prophet. And then the spirit said unto Philip, go near and join thyself to this chariot. And Philip ran hither to him. Let's stop right there. He ran to a chariot. In my mind, I'll, I think of like, 
uh, angel tells him to go, so he's walking, he sees his chariot zooming, because chariots are fast. It's not, I, I don't imagine like an Oregon Trail covered wagon going, so I imagine the best like Drew Olympian sprinter form getting into the movement, and he joins himself to the chariot. He says he joins to the chariot, and Philip, um, and Philip asks him over the sound of hooves, because horses have hooves, I think it's a horse-led chariot. This is all Colton. Uh, this is not in specifically in the Bible, so I could be wrong about that. But over the sound of hooves and chariot wheels, he asked, do you know what you're reading? Understand thou what thou readest. And verse 31 says, and he said, how can I except some man should guide me? And he desired Philip would come up and sit with him. Again, I'm imagining like Mission Impossible now. He's hanging on the side of this chariot and he say, hey, do you know what you're reading? And he's like, get on in here and tell me about it. So the place that the scripture was where he was reading, uh, he was led as sheep to the slaughter and like a lamb dumb before his shear. So he opened not his mouth. In his humiliation, his judgment was taken away. And who shall declare his generation for his life was taken from the earth? And the eunuch answered Philip and said, I pray thee of whom speaketh the prophet this or himself or some other man. He's saying, who, who is the prophet talking about here in the scripture? What's going on here? And so Philip opened his mouth and began at the same scripture, preached unto him Jesus. Amen. From just that scripture. Talk about in season, out of season ready. He didn't have right. lesson notes with him. He just said, all right, you're speaking Isaiah 50. I got you. I got you. And just so you know, that is from Isaiah 53. And we know it now as Isaiah 53. When uh, this eunuch was reading, it was not broken down into chapters. It was just a giant scroll that you just had from start of Isaiah to the end of Isaiah. That's all he was reading from. And he found this spot uh, in, I think actually it might have been broken up into books in Isaiah. But that's what he had. He didn't have it broken down into chapters and, and verses like we do. I can't just say, uh, he couldn't say Acts either because Acts wasn't even written yet when Philip was talking. He was living out Acts. He had nothing else except for what he learned from Jesus and what he had learned growing up probably in his uh, schooling. And just from Isaiah, what we call 53, 7 and 8, goes like this. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before the shears is dumb, so he opened not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment, and who shall declare his generation? For he was cut off of the land of the living, for the transgression of my people was he stricken. Whew. And that's what, um, that's what Philip overheard on this chariot ride. And from that very point, Philip preached Jesus. And uh, I'm, I'm not a preacher. I'm not, no, no, no Brother Woods or, or Pastor Knowles. Certainly no Brother Philip. So I'm just going to talk about Jesus. Um, so the context of Isaiah 53, it's a messianic prophecy. And it's also called the forbidden chapter in the Hebrew Bible because of how well it, dis it depicts the Messiah being Jesus Christ. Because it's just, if you read this and you read through all the Gospels and you read through every single account, there's undeniable, unmistakable that the writer is talking about Jesus Christ right. hundreds of years before this even happens. So now it's uh, forbidden to the Jewish uh, people because if you, if you uh, read it, then you get the revelation. We can't have that. We can't have people getting revelations. That's not good. It goes against what we believe. I'm just kidding. You like, I'm, that was a joke. Um, yeah. I think if, if it was a joke, you might have laughed before I said it was a joke. So we're working on that. A lot of things we're working on. 
So simply, as Philip is preaching Jesus, I'm just going to talk about Jesus. And I am blessed because I have an entire Bible from Genesis to Revelation. Philip did not. So I have a little bit of an edge that way, but probably not full knowledge and understanding. So I'm going to use other people's in the Bible's uh, accounts to talk about Jesus. And Philip just had his own testimony, probably, and his own understanding and what he had heard. And that's how, um, that's how he began. So I'm going to talk about Jesus from John chapter 1. It's uh, John chapter 1 is one of my uh, favorite chapters in the Bible, because it's very good. It lays everything out. I like things that are kind of just like right in front of you. You don't have to do a lot of guesswork. I am not a good guesser. I say I am, but it's, uh, I'm just throwing things out there. And uh, John doesn't leave anything to guesswork. He even starts uh, his gospel off to be familiar to those who have uh, read the rest of the Bible, too. It kind of sounds familiar if you read it. In the beginning... Does that sound familiar? Have you ever read Genesis 1-1? It's kind of like a callback. We, we might call it like a throwback. Like, or, or if you're um, good writers use callbacks too. They set things up for later or they bring your attention to something that you can connect with. And that's kind of what goes on here. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. That's an important thing uh, to do. What John sets up, he sets up a relationship in, e- in inequality. In equality, not in inequality. It's a math term. I like math. Uh, some people don't. But I see these as, as, now I see these as a big math equation. So let's say God is X and the word is Y. We just set them equal to each other. Boom, you can just interchange them now. Wherever you see the word, you can see God. And wherever you see God, you can see the word. It's, it's simple, just like that. So that was the same in the beginning with God. All things were made by him. When that him was not anything made, that was made. That is a tongue twister. And John kind of goes through describing that uh, in the beginning was the word, word was with God, word was God. God and the word in the beginning, they're the same. We got that. And he's going through how God made everything. In him was the light and the life was the light of men. Light shines in the darkness. Verse six brings in another John, not John, the writer of this, John is just a very popular name. If I'm, man, I wish my name was John now. Um, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. Uh, he, the same came for witness to bear witness to the light that all men through him might believe. So he was sent to be a witness. We know him now as John the Baptist. John the Baptizer. Creepy John. And um, so uh, he came before and if he... Uh, laid the pathway for, the, for Jesus, basically. And he, his, uh, he was even prophesied about in Isaiah 2 as well. So um, that's, that's really interesting. This is all a bunch of information that John is putting out there for us to know. Uh, and that was the true light, which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. And that's not John, but uh, John was bearing witness to the light that John talked about. That's so confusing. Wow, I didn't read this out loud. I kind of just wrote it down. So John was sent forth to talk about the light. And now John, the writer, different John, is saying that was the true light, the light that John the Baptist was talking about. Which lighteth every man that cometh in the world. He was in the world, and the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. So this light was in the world, walking around his own creation. This is very much solidifying the case that there is one God, because we jump down... To verse 14, and the word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. What John 1, 1 through 14 talks about, Lord bless you, sister, um, is that 
Jesus is God and God came into the world, his own creation. He walked around. He dwelt with his own creation, the creator with his creation. It, that, that doesn't happen in many other, many other theologies and religions out there. When, when the God comes down, he's so much more powerful. He causes havoc. But this, this Jesus, which is the God man, God made flesh, is here to be the light of the world, to help save his people, full of grace and truth. So, I went all through that. Good, good. I'm just making notes, just checking things off my list. Yes. So, I think he, um, I may be, uh, if I remember right, whenever you're referring in John, the word meaning, I think it meant logos. Yes. Plan. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So, whenever you say, you can interject, wherever it says word, you can say plan. And the plan was God. Absolutely. And so, you know, just, you kinda, if you're trying to witness to somebody, you can throw that in there and kind of make it a little bit clearer. Amen. That is such a great point. I was doing research on that, and the word literally means logos. And this was a word uh, invented. Someone just invented words. It's a Greek word because uh, the Gospels and the New Testament was mostly written in Greek. And that was, there's, there's a lot of languages back when the, there's a lot of languages in the world now. But the common speaking languages for like the Roman Empire were Latin, Greek, uh, Aramaic, and, and, and then the local languages. For this portion of the area, like Jerusalem was Hebrew, was the fourth one. But Greek was kind of just the common, everyone knew Greek. And uh, now we don't know Greek, right. which, you know, that's fine, I guess. I speak English pretty poorly anyway, so another language would just tank me. Wouldn't be able to communicate at all. But so that Greek word logos, which is where the word comes from, it means plan because invented by this guy named Heraclitus in uh, 600 BC to convey the, ever, the, the plan in an ever-changing world. That's a great point. I researched that and didn't write it down. Brother Mark. Just a quick note, um, thought line that English in reality is a very shallow language compared to Greek. In Greek, saying, for example, Jesus loved Mary and they did some stuff. You can read it someplace. You can say it 357 ways in Greek. In, in English, you can say it about five different ways. And it's so complex. So and yet, Greek I, is very descriptive language, and English is very limited. I like it. And when I use English, I'm incredibly limited. So that, but that is that is crazy to think about how how intricate the Greek language is. Yes. So that really helped me. I realized <laughs> that the flesh is the only part of God that had a beginning, Christmas, and an ending, Good Friday, for what purpose? Sacrifice, the flesh of God. So that has never been an issue. That's how I was, the Lord revealed the oneness to me. Amen. That is such a testimony. And that brings up the big 
the, the great point of this all. Why, what is God in flesh doing on earth? Well, we're going to go back to the beginning of the Bible, in fact, of all time, of all humanity. It's because this guy named Adam, he sinned. Adam and Eve, they sinned in the garden. And they give it all to Adam. Adam is the one who sinned, apparently. I think Eve had I think Eve had a had a had a part of it, but Adam sinned. In assess, in essence, there was no death in the world before um, before sin came into the world. All right, every you just there was just life. It was just forever. Even time maybe didn't even exist because we judge uh, we kind of judge things by how long they live. So if you can't you know tell if someone has lived for so long because they're not dead yet then how do we know what time was so they were just for an undetermined amount of time because time wasn't really a thing they were just living in this perfect place called the garden of eden and then one day it all got messed up and you could read that yourselves in genesis 2 in genesis chapter 3 and so because they sinned god said now you will surely die but not like immediate like death it's a you have to it's not an essence like you're gonna die Instead of like you're dying now, it's like you're going to have to live until you don't, which is had never been even thought of beforehand because there's only two people to do the thinking, Adam and Eve. But since they sinned, death entered the world. And that's um, unfortunate to say the least, Brother McCune. My thinking with Adam was that actually there were two deaths, the spiritual death and the did die spiritually immediately, but the physical took many years. Mm-hmm. But he began to age at that time. Began to age. I think that is that is a great, and that is, uh, oh yeah, for sure. I believe that too. It makes more sense. Yes. So, um, and Paul has a great way of ex- of describing this this process too of what happened in Romans chapter five, verses twelve uh, through fourteen. Wherefore. As by one man sin entered in the world, that one man is Adam, and death by sin. And so death has passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. Oh, my. Whew. Come on, Adam. It's like when that one kid ruins it for the whole class. Like, now we all can't have ice cream. Hey, Alfred, can I set a thought? Yes. Well, we know now that DNA, you know how DNA is passed. Well, to footnote what Brother um, McCune said, when they began the aging process, I think the DNA could possibly have been changed. I don't know if anybody had any thoughts on that, but that's where the DNA actually changed to and has just been passed down. And it's when we talk about sinful nature, we can't get away from it when we're born. That is, that's my opinion. That is fascinating because, well, DNA is very important in the, re- in like the, is the individual cell reproduction. So if you're not aging, then your cells are probably not dying either. So you're just... As long as Adam was not sinning, he was the same exact, every single cell of him was probably the exact same. I'm sure someone has, but we're just, we're going to write a thesis together now. And you're going to do the writing, and I, (laughs) I'm going to get my name on that because Sister Beth is a doctor. Sorry, Dr. Beth. All right, so uh, verse 13 says, For until the law sin was not in the world, but sin was, is not imputed when there is no law. Never, nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over them that had not sinned over the similitude of Adam's transgression, who is the figure of him to come. The very important part is the figure of him to come, but there's also other important parts. It's the Bible. Every single aspect of the Bible is very important. So in verse 12, it's established that 
Sin entered, and so did death. So when sin came, now we uh, start the aging process and die. That's, that's bummer. Again, go back to that word, bummer. Um, and then Paul says something about the law. And, and Paul is a, he's a writer. He's the writer of Romans and like 12 other books of the New Testament. They're all epistled letters written to churches and people at the time. And uh, he's very knowledgeable. He was a former, uh, former Pharisee and a very zealot Pharisee. He wanted to kill everyone who, uh, who loved Jesus. And uh, he was actually kind of good at it too sometimes. And then all of a sudden God changed him and God uh, uh, revealed himself to him that, in fact, he even reveals himself as Jesus is the Lord. He says that like himself. So that's another way we know that Jesus and Lord are one. Um, but he's very knowledgeable in this thing called the law. Thing called the raw, law. Uh, Jesus Christ, um, he came down to uh, be the second Adam. That's where we get the term for the figures, things to come. Paul even calls him the second Adam. So I jumped a little bit, so I'm going to go back just a little bit, just going to backpedal. I'll be in this boat with me, okay? Okay, we're in this together now. You're sitting here. Uh, So because sin entered the world, so did death, and God had never wanted us to die. That was never the plan for us to die. But because of Adam's disobedience, we now live in a world polluted with sin and death. But it's okay because God does have a plan. He's always had a plan. He's a very good planner, probably the best of all time, if I had to rank them. And uh, we see that in Ephesians chapter 1, 3 through 5. Paul again writing, because Paul is a very good writer. And he actually, he was gifted by God to do this. He was a great teacher and an apostle. Probably, I heard it the other day, he's probably the best missionary of all time. He certainly set a high bar. One of the best missionaries of all time. And Ephesians 1, uh, chapter 1, verses 3 through 5. Blessed be God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ, according as he hath chosen us in him, before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. So right here, Paul says that before the foundation of the world, and when you're building houses or buildings, the foundation is the first part. You dig it out and you put the foundation. That's where you build everything else on. So before even the first part of the world was formed, that was like six days in God's timeline, before humans were made, he had a plan for us. He had chosen us before the world was even beginning to form, to be holy and without blame before him in love. So that was the plan, to always be holy, that we're always going to be blameless. Um, But then Adam, did he ruin the plan? Did something happen? Did he throw a wrench in it that God didn't foresee? God knows all things. He times in his hands. And I'm sure that was... A, uh, it looks like an inconvenience, but it was really the part of the plan. It's really part of the plan. He chose us before the world was made. Um, he wants us to be holy without blame and sinless. And I apologize for saying um so much. It's just my recollection thing. So the real big question now for me as I'm reading through this, because I wrote it down in my notes, is what is sin? What is sin? We've talked about this before. In my mind, the simplest a uh, definition that I use for sin is separation from God. Separation from God. And not a physical separation, but like spiritual, mental, uh, uh, even sometimes physical separation from God. Anything that separates you from him. 
so throughout the Bible, anytime sin would occur, a separation between God and his people was made evident uh, all throughout uh, after Judges. Well, if you read Judges, the book of Judges, uh, it's basically a big revolving door of people being in sin and being separated from God and then God having to save them. And that's kind of what happens. So in my mind, that's just a good, uh, good indicator when you get separated somehow from God. Um, and you know it, not that you feel, man, that's, did I just open up a can of worms? Separated from God. So sin is, in essence, all around us. I'm just going to move on. Uh, Psalms 51 says that we've all been conceived in sin. It's something that we can't even control anymore because of Adam. Everyone say, thank you, Adam. Thank you, Adam. And Eve. Thank you. Um, we've all been conceived in sin as we humans essentially are born into sin. But don't worry. Paul says in Romans 5, 20 through 21, Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound. But where sin abound, grace did much more abound. That as sin hath reigned unto death, unto death even so might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. And that's, that's so incredible. And when sin, sin abounds, grace much more abounds. Uh, and Jesus Christ has always wanted to give us grace. But what is Paul talking about? This, this law, is, I've said law a lot, and I've just been purposely not talking about it. Because it's kind of, it gets me tongue-tied. And we all know I'm very tongue-tied as is. Any more coals on the fire are just going to turn into a mess. But let's go into it, huh? Let's all get into this law here with Colton. And in the layman of layman's of layman's terms, just the simplest terms that I like to use, the law was instructions God gave to his chosen people, uh, the Israelites or the Jewish people, as a way for them to know how to not sin. And I thought that was a pretty good definition because uh, through the law, God gave his people instructions on how to act and how to conduct themselves, how to live and how not to live what to do, what not to do, and it can be kind of confusing, but it was, it was really a blessing because now they knew what they were doing wrong. Uh, it's, it's not very helpful if people just say you're doing something wrong. You're doing something, if there's no way to correct it, it doesn't... I'm big on like asking the first time, like, hey, can I do this right so I never have to ask you? And uh, sometimes that works. Sometimes I just uh, pretend like I know what I'm doing. <laughs> not often, though, I promise. <laughs> But God gave them the instruction on how to act and conduct themselves in front of God and others so that they may be holy. He even said, be holy as I am holy. And that was the big push that God wanted them to be holy. And I know people want, we want to be holy. In essence, I believe that our spirit really cries out to be closer with God. Our flesh is kind of pulling us back sometimes. There is definitely a separation there, a difference between our spirit and our flesh. But what the law did was... Not, I don't want to say unintentionally, because everything God done is, is very intentional. It gave a form to sin. It gave kind of a body to sin. This is what sin looks like. When you do, when you do something wrong, that's sin. Um, before the law, people didn't really know how they were sinning sometimes. Sometimes they very much knew how they were sinning. But the law gave instructions on what was wrong so they could choose to do what's right. And so through this law, God gave a means of rolling back the sins of his people, making them free for their sins, for a whole year, but that was never the ultimate plan of God. Paul calls it a shadow of things to come, but never the very image. So it was always the precursor to the plan. It was always the setup. In that um, event where they rolled back their sins, it was called Passover. And Passover has very deep backgrounds uh, throughout, throughout really history. 
um, because it involves Egypt, and Egypt is one of the historical great powers ever. So Passover happened, we'll say a good several thousand years. I'm, I'm not a math wizard, but it happened a very long time ago. And um, that kind of happened with Moses, and I'm sure most of us know the story of Moses and the Israelites and, and you know, the crossing of the Red Sea. And right before they crossed the Red Sea, something happened. It was the 10th plague. And God said, this is going to be the final plague. Because uh, the Israelites were captured, not captured, they were enslaved. That's the right word. They were enslaved. They were in bondage. And they cried out to God, and God sent a, uh, a Savior through Moses and Aaron to get them out of there. And so there's nine plagues, and they're all very crazy plagues. If we saw them now, we would definitely say the world's ending, or it's probably happening somewhere in India. One of the two. Because crazy things happen overseas. I have no clue what happens. Like, there's like swarms of locusts, just randomly. That's a plague in the Bible, but people are like so chill with it. I don't know. But that was, that was one of the plagues. There was a nine plagues and then there was this 10th plague and this 10th plague was was big new it was bigger than all the other ones because it was god saying i'm going to send my angel of death to kill the firstborn of every house that's 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 crazy that is really crazy and it's so uh so indeterminate it's not based on uh social status or political status or wealth or power it's just everyone every firstborn Unless they did something, what they had to do is they had to get a perfect lamb, a without blemish, perfect, just it was the best looking thing. It probably glowed, the ones that they found. It was just perfect. That, yeah, <laughs> that's what what happened here. But no, it was perfect. It was without spot. And what they did is they sacrificed it and they put the blood of that spotless lamb on the doorpost. And this angel of death rolled through. And it saw whoever had the, uh, whoever's doorpost was covered in the blood of the lamb was saved. The whole house was saved. And that was called the Passover. And from that event uh, sparked Pharaoh uh, telling them to get out of here. And then he chased them because Pharaoh's kind of like wishy-washy about what he says. So they got out of there. And uh, from that Passover, from the shedding of blood so that others may live, dying of a perfect sacrifice, a multitude of people were saved. So uh, God told them to celebrate that every year by doing the same thing, by, uh, by slaying a perfect lamb, sacrificing it to God. And that would roll back their sins. There's other things that go into that. I don't have time to even begin to go into it because I am running out of time, and I'm only on page two. So Hebrews 10, 1 through 4, most people think the author of that is Paul. Uh, it says it's not possible for uh, the blood of bulls and goats to take away our sins. So the sacrifices were to atone for sins, but never to take them away completely. They're to push them back. But God's ultimate plan was to eradicate sin. It was to take it out. It was to kick it out so that we could be perfect. If we have to live every year thinking like, oh, man, I hope, I hope I can make it to the next Passover. That's a bad way to live. But God's plan is that you don't have to worry about next year. You just got to worry about walking daily with him. So Hebrews 10.10 10 says, By which we were all sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. Jesus Christ is that ultimate sacrifice. That's what Isaiah 53 is talking about. The, the writer, Isaiah, is prophesying about this sacrifice, this man. This, he came down and he was despised and he was rejected. And, and he went through terrible, terrible things. And he died for me and you. He died for the whole world. His death means so much more than just a death of, of a bull or a goat. The writer of Hebrew wrote that the law was a shadow of things to come and not the very image of things. 
So God knew that those sacrifices couldn't fully beat the uh, sin that this world has been trapped in. So Hebrews 10, 12 says that Jesus offered one sacrifice for sins. That was himself. That was God coming down in the flesh, offering himself. It was that flesh that died. For by one offering hath perfected uh, forever them that are sanctified. For one offering, that same sacrifice, Jesus paid the price and he died. He died on a cross and it was, it was painful and it was terrible. But he was thinking about me and he was thinking about you on that cross. He, he felt everything. He went through life as a man and he felt pain and he felt sorrow and, and he felt being without. And he went on that cross going through all temptations and he never fell because he was perfect and blameless. He lived the ultimate pure life to die the, and pay the ultimate price. And he died on that cross and he gave the, the last breath he gave, uh, this thing in the temple called the veil, it tore. And that was a divider between uh, the world, basically, and this holy of holy where the ark is, where the throne of God is. So when Jesus died, that separation from, from us and God fully broke down. So then Jesus was buried because dead people are buried, mostly and he was fully covered in the ground. He's put in a tomb and a stone was rolled in front. In fact, Isaiah even uh, prophesies that the tomb that, I, that uh, Jesus would get would be a rich man's tomb. And that's what happened. Uh, uh, a rich man gave him his tomb. And he really, he didn't give it to him. He only borrowed it because, spoiler, he doesn't use it for too long. It's very money savvy. Tombs are very expensive. And Jesus is like, I'm not going to be here very long. So three days later, a stone was rolled away. No one knows how except we do because we read the Bible. And Jesus was gone. And people say it's grave robbers. It's his disciples. But no, there's in fact, um, some of the gospels say an angel sitting on the stone. Another gospel said two angels were inside, laying on every side, uh, sitting on both sides where Jesus would have been resting. And he said, he's not here. He is risen. He beat death. Up until this point in time, death has been pretty impossible to beat. There's been some miracles where death had been beaten, but it usually involves someone else coming and, you know, doing the, doing the laying on of hands or telling Lazarus to get out. But he himself resurrected. The result of sin has always been death. Paul says that the wages of sin is death. Wages are something you earn. If I work 12 hours, I'm going to get paid for 12 hours times the amount of money I make per hour. That is, it's more math, I'm sorry. But that's how wages work. It's something you earn after you work. And it's something that you work for. And sometimes you work really hard for. Sometimes you don't work really hard. But the wages of sin is death. When that word wages it uses, it means it's something only you can do to get it. The wages of sin is death. So that's always been the result. That's always been the turnout. But Jesus provided the means of escape from death. He became the lamb that was slain. Just as lambs were slain for the Israelites to push back their sins, Jesus took all the sins from the whole world onto that cross. When his blood was spilt, the sin was atoned. When he died, the sin was covered. And the death took the sin, but he rose again. But the sin stayed in the grave. It stayed buried. It stayed dead. So in essence, the sin didn't come up with him. The sin didn't come back. It's crazy. Um, the sin that he was carrying. So what happens now? He beat death. Uh, Paul says death is swallowed up in victory. And that's also another um, uh, uh, prophecy. 
Death is swallowed up in victory. Our past does not matter anymore. We are freed from the bondage of sin and that reward of death. So what do we do with this information? How do we, how do we apply that to our lives? In fact, the same question was asked in Acts chapter 2, verse 37. The same question was asked of Peter. They said, men and brethren, what shall we do? Because he gave a message and, and it pricks them in their hearts. And Peter said unto them, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for remission of sins. And ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. It's, that's probably familiar scripture, maybe. I don't know if you heard of it. Um, so that's the plan. That's what you do. That's what you do when you feel guilty. That's what you do when you feel like you have sin in your life. It, Peter said, this is what you do. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Paul says that the wages of sin are death, but the gift of God is i just lost it in my head i was rolling and then it's a, for the uh, but the gift of god is eternal life through jesus christ our lord the gift the gift the gift and in in romans chapter 6 paul goes through essentially what it means to be baptized you see when we say the words repent repent literally means to turn around and go there go the other way it's it's saying I, I'm sorry for what I've done. I don't want to be this way anymore. I really don't want to be this way anymore. And you turn around and you don't do it anymore. And that's hard sometimes because sometimes we fall back into it. But God is a very merciful God and very just God. And he, he'll help you out no matter what. So that's, that's the first step that Peter gives to repent. And then be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus. I'm sure, uh, I'm, I'm very sure most of us in here have heard of baptism in some capacity. But I just want to you know, explain it just a little bit, go into a little bit of depth. Paul goes into great depth in, um, in Romans chapter 6. I encourage everyone to read it, even if you haven't been baptized in Jesus' name. It's just great to read. It's a good, good read. So he says in, in verse 1, uh, What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer? And he's talking to people who have actually already been baptized. They're already dead to sin, and this is how he explains it. Therefore, we are buried with him by baptism into death, that we, like as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For when we've been planted together in the likeness of a death, we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we shall not serve sin. For he that is dead is freed from sin." That's important to know. He that is dead is free from sin. A dead man can't sin. It's, or he's gonna, he can't even try to sin, actually, because he's dead. But it's important to know that this, this baptism represents the, the burial. This repentance is actually almost, rep, in my mind, representing the crucifixion. When you crucify the old man, we're saying, I don't want to be this way. I'm going to kill the old man, not physically kill the man. But you change the way you live. You change some things about you. Let Jesus Christ start to work with you. And then this baptism into death, it's not we're killing you when we're baptizing you. Sometimes I feel, I maybe feel like my dad tried to hold me under a little bit too long. But he wasn't trying to kill me, he was trying to kill the sin out of me. It's not true. He is, my baptism story is a very funny one to me now, but it took a long time. Um, so baptism, literally, oh, <laughs> okay, I'll, I'll tell it real quickly. Uh, I was like eight years old. I wanted to be baptized. Uh, the church that we were in was, uh, had no heat. No, it was January, dead of winter. It was a horse trough in a basement, so it was much colder, too. I think there was ice cubes floating in it. And uh, I just stood there. I wanted to be baptized. I was in the baptismal robe. I stood there for, like, 15 minutes. 
And they're saying, Colton, just sit down. And I couldn't even listen to them. I was, I was blacked out, just facing this, this basement of people really wanting to see me baptized. I was just standing there shivering, my knees shaking. And then eventually I sat down, and then another 15 minutes, and then I got baptized. And it was fantastic. And I was eight years old. And I'm so thankful I got baptized when I was young. Sometimes we think, are we too young? To, is someone too young to be baptized? No, being too as long as you know what baptism means, as long as you understand the purpose behind it, that is the best time to be baptized if you haven't been baptized in Jesus' name. Because that means that you are free from sin. Not that you're not going to sin anymore. Not that, not that you're just uh, once saved, always saved. That's, wow. that's not what Paul's saying. Right. Saying you're free from, you have a way of escape from sin now. You're going to mess up. Proverbs said the righteous man falls seven times, but he gets up another time. And that's what baptism in Jesus' name is. Yes. Um, let me add a little something to that. Is you know you quoted Psalms fifty-one five, but iniquity uh, was I shaped in sin, now I conceive. Sometimes people get confused and they think that they're born a sinner. Mm. Well, we believe that we're not born a sinner, but born with a sinful nature. That's yeah, exactly. So that's why we don't baptize babies. Mm-hmm. Whereas. Catholic Church, they teach just the opposite. They <laughs> baptize babies. So, so sometimes... It's got to be a smart baby if he knows what baptism is. Absolutely. And, uh, amen. And the way we baptize is is the right way. I know that we baptize the right way because we do what's called full immersion baptism. We make sure you get 100% under the water, not a single toe sticking out, not one hair, maybe some hair, but we make sure that we get you in there because that's how you bury people. You make sure you bury, if you want to, you know, bury someone correctly. I'm not an expert in this. I promise I don't bury people on the reg. Um, but you make sure they're fully covered. They're fully covered in this so that they're completely out of this world. And then when they come back up, when you bring someone back up, they are now walking in newness of life. That's why we baptize full immersion. That's why we don't baptize babies. And very important thing, we baptize in Jesus' name. In the name of Jesus. The only name under heaven by which we might be saved. Uh, people get confused because Matthew twenty nineteen, Jesus says, baptize uh, everyone in the name of the Father, the name of the Son, the name of the Holy Ghost. But my dad's name is not Father. My name is not Son. Those are what's called titles. We don't baptize in titles. Jesus says to baptize in the name, the singular name of Jesus. And that's what we do. We baptize in Jesus' name. Peter was not wrong. He wasn't misquoting Jesus when he said baptize in Jesus' name. Because that's what Jesus asked him to. Baptism is essential to get to heaven. Jesus says so himself. You must be baptized or born again with the water and of the spirit if you want to see the kingdom of God. If you don't do that, you're not going to see the kingdom of God. Jesus says himself, I'm sorry. I don't make the rules. He does, and I'm just trying to follow them. So now we get uh, back to our story, Acts chapter 8, 36 through 39. And after, that's after right as Philip was preaching that same scripture. And he went on their way, and they came to certain water. And the eunuch said, See, here is water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? And Philip said, If thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And he commanded the chariot to stand still, and they went down both into the water, both Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. When he came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord caught away Philip, and the eunuch saw him no more, and he went on his way rejoicing. The, the eunuch heard Philip's, uh, the Ethiopian man, heard 
Philip's message, and he knew what he had to do. He said, this is a great spot for baptism because there's water here. I want to let everyone know that we have water here. We do. It's in a baptismal tank back there. We have robes here. We have towels here. We have everything you need. So what doth hinder you from being baptized? Unless you've been baptized already. And that's fantastic. If you've been baptized in Jesus' name, I'm so happy. We're all so happy that uh, every time someone gets baptized, it's like, a, it's like another person. It is really another person in the kingdom of God. And uh, Jesus says, just as one sinner uh, repents, the whole kingdom of God goes crazy. Imagine what happens when someone gets the Holy Ghost. Oof, it's going to be... And that's the same way, especially with this church. I believe it. I believe it. So what hinders you from being baptized? And that's, that's, that is, that's, that's the question I'm going to leave you on as we stand. Right at 8 o'clock. I'm so sorry, Natalie. I've tried. I don't even know where she is. She asked me to go. No. The Lord had other plans. Amen. Amen. Real quick, something I did write down also is... Sometimes we think we're not worthy of grace, and we're really not. We didn't do anything on our own power to earn it, but Jesus didn't deserve to die either. So don't waste the gift that God is trying to give us. Get baptized. Get other people to be baptized. Grow the kingdom of God, because that's why Jesus died for us. All right, Brother McCune, could you pray, please? Lord, we thank you for to know the way of salvation. We ask God that you would keep us strong in the faith, strengthen us day by day. Guide us, Lord, as we go on our ways that we will always follow you. We will not be swayed by any other persuasion, but by your word only. In Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Hallelujah. Hallelujah.